Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates for the final hour, Tennessee Power Hour on this Thursday edition. Alongside Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Chad Withrow on his way to the west, to the desert, Arizona, and Scottsdale for the bachelor party. That's right. David Reed, the chairman of the board. Dylan Taylor, our great production assistant, and uh, the entire OutKick crew doing an excellent job today from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Uh, Titans and Jets this week as we kick off the Power Hour. We will get into some thoughts on the matchup between Tennessee and Missouri and the impact that this could mean for Heupel and just setting a tone moving forward and what's going to be a difficult year to just get their footing uh, and, and grasp of where they are in the East right now based on the number of scholarship players they do or don't have and the upcoming schedule. Winnable games, but also games where you could see this going one way or the other. We'll, we'll discuss that later in the hour. But we start with the Titans, who uh, are, are banged up. And I, I have maintained throughout the week, no excuse against a terrible Jets team not to go and win this game on the road and what is a gift from the NFL and the schedule makers for the Titans to take advantage of, to start fast. They're 2-1, and one, a chance to get the 3-1 and one as they then go on the road against Jacksonville. Jacksonville will have 10 days to prepare. They play tonight against Cincinnati. We won't get ahead of ourselves, though. A terrible Jets team is next up on the slate. The Titans should have no problem being the team that they're capable of being and having the attitude, focus, and mentality that Brable wants them to have, the physical tone-setting mentality, to go on the road and slap them around. That's the hashtag I've been using this week. Paul, they are banged up, though. You have the injury report from today's practice. It's lengthy. We knew it would be, but the key is who's back to practice and who remains out and all the talk will be about the two receivers, A.J. Brown yeah. and Julio Jones. They've got two upgrades and a downgrade, plus a, a roster move. But uh, the two receivers' status is the same. A.J. Brown and Julio Jones with their hamstring uh, injuries did not practice. Um, Bud Dupree, Caleb Farley remained out. Laurel Murchison remained out. Taylor Lewan with his toe, full participation. Christian Fulton with his ankle full participation. Brett Kern, who had a right groin uh, surface yesterday as a limited participant, did not practice. And the Titans have signed Johnny Townsend to their active roster. They had actually two roster spots available, so uh, they didn't have to knock anybody off the roster in order to add him. But I think you got a pretty good shot of him being the Titans punter on uh, Sunday at MetLife Stadium with Kern unable to practice today. Unless they're just thinking, you know, one one or two big days of rest will settle it down. But they're signing a guy to the active roster. Right. That doesn't bode well for him. I wonder, um, did, did it have – we don't know when it occurred, but I wonder if it occurred whenever he was roughed and that was a key yeah. penalty and a turning point of the game. That's a, a very good question and seems likely – one of those deals uh, and where I can't you, remember if he – I don't think he punted after that 
Yeah, I don't think they needed to. Uh, but but um, he, he came off. It's not like he uh, – I didn't – I was watching him. He didn't him. need it, help or anything. No, but I think that could be one of those deals where, you know, you wake up on a Monday and you go in for treatment and there's – you know, they do like Aggravated. the – They do like the run-through um, to, to see where guys are and try to get, you know, jog back it, on track. Jog it out. Yeah, and maybe that's where something occurred. Don't know. So, um, you know, that's a concern. You're already with a, a kicker that, you know, has done a good job, but you never know when things are going to change. Right. And, and then, you know, Brett Kern is a consistent, consistent part of this team. He's been around forever. Brett Kern has played for every coach of the Tennessee Titans. Most people, I don't think, realize that. Played for Fisher. <laughs> played for Munchak. Yeah. Played for uh, Wisenhunt, Malarkey, and, and now Vrabel. They need to stop uh, relying on Randy Bullock so much in the red zone. They've been reaching the red zone. Uh, they started two for two, getting touchdowns in the red yeah, zone. The red zone wasn't bad this last week. Yeah, but they're five for 11 in their last trips in. They've been settling for field goals. It's not that they're not reaching them, um, but, you know, they, we, we saw it in, in week two some where they're, they're kicking with bullets. I think they were three for five in the red zone touchdown-wise well, this last That's week. what they've got to be. I mean, they, yeah. that, that was the, that's where Tannehill took over last week. We haven't talked enough about him and uh, his impact last week. We've, we've discussed the turnovers. He had that one bad interception that I, I think is probably his worst decision as a Titan. Yeah, and he would say that. Yeah, I'm but sure. but he he picked up the pace of the offense and got them into a rhythm that was a slow and prodding game where they they had twice had possessions to take a two possession lead, two touchdown lead, and on both of those possessions ended up turning the football over. The Titans would get the ball back and then go get a big score after Indy would have an answer. Um, Tannehill deserves a lot of credit. He had those. Three big runs, what, 58 yards rushing. Yeah, career He's high, one of three quarterbacks in the league with 100 yards rushing through three weeks, and those were some big runs for a Titans offense that needed to move the chains. And the biggest one was where he was able to contort his body and stay in bounds to keep the clock running while one of the defenders tried to force force him out of bounds with a lot of momentum. I don't know how he's able to. Very athletic. Yeah, he was Look, great. And people forget the, uh, you know, they take the wide receiver end of things um, that he was a wide receiver uh, early in his college career at A&M and turned it into, a, you know, it's a good for him with his understanding of receivers and routes and things like that. But they forget the kind of, uh, you know, running with the ball in his hands, running after the catch. And those are things that really benefit him in terms of what he does as a running quarterback. And uh, he's a lot faster than I think people give him credit for. Um, on the first run, he kind of sidestepped the defender. Now, people are on him for not sliding. We asked him that about that yesterday. I asked him if he played baseball. And he said, <laughs> yeah, he played high school baseball and, and slid. And then um, I think it was Joe Rex Road who followed up. And he said, Pete Rose style slides? <laughs> and he said, no, feet first. Um, so uh, he says he picks his, his spots to, uh, and that he does slide feet first. Those aren't the ones that we tend to remember. And he didn't show us one of those in, in, in this game. Uh, so, you know, people are afraid of him getting hurt. Also, you know, he hasn't gotten hurt in a while. So I don't know if it's that we think he's due to get hurt or we're just holding our breath, uh, you know, w worried that he's going to get Part hurt. Part of it's just how much he's getting hit. Yeah. And look, he stands, we're in, noticing that, he stands in that damn pocket, you yeah. know, and, and I don't know. You know, I mean, it's fair to be critical of him that he doesn't necessarily sense the pressure or move away the pressure, but uh, sometimes, but. Also, he stands in there and takes the time he needs to take to um, see things and, and make a throw at the last second. That's admirable quality in a quarterback, particularly if you're not coming out of there limping or, or needing the aid of the traders.
Trainers. Trainers. Um, who who might he be throwing to this week? Let we we know Cam Batson. We know Nick Westbrook Aquina. Yeah, who are you Jeff starting Swain. in this game? I'm, I'm starting Nick Westbrook Aquina and uh, Chester Rogers. Chester Rogers. And I yes. would think that Cam Batson's third. Josh Reynolds talked today like he's expecting to to play. Like this is his week. Good for him. Uh, yeah, good for him. Good yeah. for him. Uh, Thanks injuries, for your contribution. Injuries are not a factor for him at this stage, he said, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. He said he's played special teams for his entire term with the Rams. Um, so, you know, I don't know who he needs to outshine on that. Marcus Johnson, the question is, you know, can he be ready in one practice week? Don't know what the extent of the injury he's coming back from was, See, but I they think have it, I a think roster it was a spot knee in the preseason. I think so too. And they have a roster spot. They're at 52. So they've done nothing to fill that roster spot, which makes me feel like he or Brady Breeze. The punter doesn't count. Who both today? came. He counts today, but they had two roster oh, okay. spots based on the two IR moves, and they didn't add anybody okay. to the roster. So Johnson or Breeze could just be activated mm-hmm. off of their, they're in their window now to return. They could just be activated and fill the roster spot without a move. Um, so if you activate Marcus Johnson, is he ahead of Josh Reynolds? He's better special teams player, uh, and he was a better receiver through the bulk of training camp when Josh Reynolds was dealing with his nagging Achilles deal. Um, so I don't know where Josh Reynolds slots in and what the level of confidence is in him at this stage. I, I don't know. How can you know, it be? It would just be based on this the practice drastic. Week change in the mentality of signing a guy to we just finished week three and he's in he's a healthy scratch and knowing that he can contribute in LA you bring him in at the time he's the number two receiver behind AJ Brown because you didn't know at the time that Julio Jones was going to be available for what they were able to trade for right correct um and and he's a healthy scratch and not even needed I mean they just look at him like you're inactive well, and, and not even a second look, thought about it. I don't it. want to defend the guy because I'm I I'm down on him like everybody well, got- else is. But the week before, he was a, a, an injury scratch. Right. So the healthy scratch comes off a three-practice week where we don't know what kind of role he was given in the game plan to practice for mm-hmm. and to what he outshined. And they may have decided relatively early in the week, well – we don't see a special teams role for him, and so the game plan we're installing this doesn't really week. include a chance Maybe. for him to, to do anything. And so he may not have had, a, have had a chance in those three practices to play his way into well, Sunday's role. Now, this week, he absolutely, it's clear, has a chance to play his way into a role. So let's see what they do with him Sunday. If they don't do if he's not on the field much on Sunday as a real indictment. Well, let's let's And I think Westbrook Aquina will definitely be on the field and Rodgers will definitely be on the field. If Josh Reynolds doesn't factor into the top 3, then you really have a, yeah, right now there. I don't think he I don't think he does. But but the 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 thing about this game, Paul, this is a this is a get right game. Even for some of the the guys who will be stepping up to fill roles for starters who are not available to play. This is a terrible Jets team, and they should be treated as such. This is, I, I tweeted this yesterday, and I don't know how far you agree with this, this sentiment. This is, a, this is one of those examples that stat-stuffing games exist across the National Football League. This is one of those games where if you're – Harold Landry's off to a wonderful start. Fantastic, fantastic start. Stat-stuffing he game for Harold Landry. 
Rashawn Evans, work on things. Get it right. Josh Reynolds, work on things when you're active and take advantage of playing the Jets this week. It's uh, Taylor Lewan built confidence last week. Take advantage of playing the Jets and get it right as you go into the heart of your schedule. And stat stuffing games exist because by January, we will be lumping all of these numbers together. We won't say, oh, Josh Reynolds caught two touchdown passes uh, in the month of October. Uh, we won't quantify it by saying, oh, by the way, it was against the no, Jets. not at all. It will just count towards Josh Reynolds' production. Harold Landry, whenever he's open for that big contract, we will be touting what he did in his final year of his deal and not mentioning the stats that he produced against the lowly Jets. Go feast. This is what I tweeted yesterday. These guys should go feast on the Jets and stat stuff and make some extra money. That uh, Get bonuses. You're bonused off of production at the end of the year. This is one of those games where it's a, it's a gimme. This is like a FanDuel offer where you bet five to win 150. I mean, this is just handed to you on a platter. And uh, the, the mentality of, oh, these guys are really banged up and it's, it's, it's any given week in the NFL, I'm not buying it. They should kick this team around and drive back, fly back, get on the charter, enjoy your filet, and get ready for Jacksonville. Here's another guy that should help everything and help offset Brown and Jones, who we didn't mention, Ferkser. Ferkser has practiced two days in a row after missing two weeks with the knee. He spoke to us briefly today, had a sleeve on the knee, if I'm remembering correctly, but he's good to go. And so Anthony Ferkser, uh, you know, Pruitt did nice work, but Anthony Ferkser is a more Pruitt's dynamic. Been a very nice surprise. Yes, but Anthony Ferkser is a more dynamic guy. Get right than, game. Put him in. Pruitt. Let's see him. That's right. And he should offset. So while we're talking about Josh Reynolds and all of that, Ferkshire should siphon off a little bit of the receiver stuff and take it to tight end, and he runs receiver-ish stuff. And so he'll be in the slot some, uh, taking away some of the necessity for three wide Mm -hmm. and the like, and I would imagine he gets his share of targets here in a get-right game and get uh, not just get right, but get back to it, you know, get help back me, in the lineup. Help me understand something, because I, Vegas always tends to be right around the number. Not always, but they tend to be. They, they had the Titans as a six-and-a-half-point underdog on the road in week two at Seattle. The Titans are only a seven-and-a-half-point favorite against the Jets. This is not some anomaly season for the Jets. I mean, they've been putrid for years. They start slow. They barely win. We've, we've gone over the winning percentages for this franchise recently. Um, and it's through Adam Gase, and it's before Adam Gase, quite frankly. Um, they're in rebuild mode. The Titans have built to this moment, this season, is what they've been building for and what they've been praying that you buy into with season tickets over the last several seasons. This is the year. The all-in move was trading for Julio Jones. With that being said, what's Vegas see that they think the Jets, for some reason, are keeping this a one-possession game? Well... First off, outside of the uh, Houston game, seven and a half is the biggest spread in the in the league this week. There are three other seven and a half. Vegas seems to be reluctant to go bigger than that. The Jags, it was six and a half against uh, Denver. It was seven and a half against Arizona. Yeah, you're right. So that's about the ceiling, unless you go to something crazy like Bills, Texans. So that's like the the ceiling is the roof. and um just pop right in there um i I, and i still think we talked about this a little bit i think last week uh vegas is still giving 
points for a home field. Yeah. That home field isn't really translating. Uh, it's it, They're sticking with old school mentality on home field, which doesn't really count like it used to. Um, for the crowd, for the travel, whatever, it's not really translating anymore. And so if you didn't give them the two or two and a half or three that sometimes it comes to with the travel element, but at least the two, then this would be instead of seven and a half, nine and a half. I mean, this and nine and a half would sound right, I think, to both of us. A, yeah, yeah, I think so. And um, and again, I would lay the points here. You can tell by my attitude this week. I'm, you can name your line. We'll double the spread for you um, because of Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is the reason why the Titans are two and one and not zero oh and three. And we, we'll discuss his usage, first and second down tendencies by this offense through three weeks, and then we get into third down numbers where Henry isn't really even wanted on the field. Quite frankly, uh, Paul wrote a piece at paulkoharski.com about this and the third down usage. We'll, we'll take a layer or two uh, deeper on the discussion and. Why and why not he's, he's available or not available for this offense on third down? You want your best players out there on a crucial down and distance. Henry's on the sideline. We'll, we'll discuss that next on OutKick 360. You can follow us on Twitter at OutKick 360. Tomorrow's Friday edition, jam-packed. Albert Breer will join us from SI. Is it Monday afternoon quarterback now yes. for him? Monday afternoon quarterback for Albert Breer. He will be with us tomorrow. We'll be discussing... Brady's return to Foxborough. Uh, Albert's been up there in the, the Boston area and has covered that, uh, that time frame quite a bit. Um, great across the league as well. He'll be with us tomorrow, uh, as will Bobby Carpenter. And, of course, the Tennessee Power Hour will kick off with Brent Hobbs and Austin Price of VolQuest.com, and we will discuss Tennessee and Missouri and the impact of this game for Josh Heupel. Can Henry be more of an impact on third down? Paul, you, you dove into this um, at paulkoharski.com. This has been a big discussion because on some of the biggest downs of the season so far, and this is not a trend that just started this year, they don't want him out there. They get his breather. Now, the guy had 68 combined carries over the last two weeks. That's the most by 11 carries throughout his career in consecutive games. Um, so they're using him, and they're winning because of Henry but they're not winning third down because of Henry. Well, here's my conclusion. I looked at it pretty closely. And so, first off, his snap counts have gone up, right? In 2019, he played 59%. Last year, he played 66%. So far this year, he's playing 71%. Now, I'm a use him up and yeah. throw him away when he's done kind of guy. So I have no problem with them using him a ton and giving him a ton of carries. But that's a disturbing trend. 71% is pretty high when he was at 59% yeah, two years is, ago. These percentages are what we would expect to see in November and December, right? 71% three games in mm -hmm. is high. I, I, I agree. Okay. And I'm not saying don't use him on third down because you want to rest him. But I do think not using him on third and longer makes, makes sense. Um, he's not going to serve you very much there. So in this last game against Indianapolis, they put personnel on the field for 13 third down plays. One of them was washed out by a penalty. Um, he was part of two plays, a third and two that he converted with a four-yard run and a third and one where he ran for eight yards. So he was put on the field and well used for two third downs. 
He was not on the field for a third and three. He was not on the field for two third and fours. And he was not on the field for a third and five. And the rest were all bigger than that. So those are four plays where he's not on the field on third and five or less. And you know it's a pass. Pretty much. Uh, I did not look specifically, and I don't have my notes in front of me. I think McNichols did run on one of them. So to keep, keep them honest kind, kind of thing. Um, but here's, here's the overall results of what they're doing on third down, and this is where I would be put at ease if I was a Titans fan. They're tied for 11th in third down efficiency at 42.5%. Mm-hmm. And you've got first and second down numbers, but I would say what Derrick Henry let, let's look at it this way. If you look at Christian McCaffrey, who's hurt now, and Dalvin Cook, say, what they're doing on third down maybe lets you say they don't have to be on the field. And they probably are. Their snap counts, I thought, were higher, though we did look at Dalvin Cook, and his were roughly the same as Derrick Henry last year. But you could say what they do on third down makes it so that they don't have to play every first down, say, Right. Well, I think what Derrick Henry does on first and second down, while third down's the money down, what he does on first and second down gets some first downs, eliminates some third mm-hmm. downs. And you could say, well, he's, he doesn't need to be on the field for every third down because some of the third downs don't exist. Well, so l- let's dive in a bit. So I'm big on yards per play versus down and distance because that sets up the Titans offense, or it did last year, it sets up the Titans offense for two things. First is Henry. You get the ball in Henry's hands because he's your best offensive weapon. Second, it sets you up for the play action with Tannehill where he is exceptional. Just compared play action passes to non-play action passes for Ryan Tannehill, and the numbers speak for itself. The, The Titans have five touchdowns this season on first down. That's tied for, that's t- tied for third most in the league. They rank ninth in yards per play on first down. That's also very good. You want to be in that top 10 category because you're in second and third and manageable. It sets you up for long possessions if you need it. It sets you up for quick scoring drives if you need it. On second down, their efficiency declines considerably. They rank 22nd on yards per play on second down, but they're getting chunk yardage on first. Second down, not as much. They rank 22nd. They've scored zero touchdowns on, on second down. Then third down rolls around. And Henry's not on the field. Even if it's third and three, they're taking him off the field. I hate that. Third and four. I mean, this is an offense on second and four. They'd hand the ball to Derrick Henry. He's going to get a first down. Do the same thing on third down, third and four. No one's going to boo you out. The entire stadium's chanting Henry's name on third and four. Yeah. If you line third, up with him in the third back. Third and door. medium is the argument here. Yes. Um, third down, the trend continues. They're at 27th in yards per play. They have three touchdowns on third down. Three touchdowns on second and third down is tied for 18th, and they average 4.7 yards per play on second and third down combined. That's with Henry off the field for a big, considerable chunk of those third down opportunities. Now, we get into tendencies, and we went into this last year, and I, I don't hate the first down run tendency if it's working. Through three weeks, everyone's like, oh, it's first down, they're going to run. And they, they passed more on first down this past week. Through three weeks, the Titans rank fifth at 59.2% of first down plays being run plays. So they're very predictable in that category, but they're also very efficient. Again, their top down is first down, and they're running 59% of the time on first down. Keep that in mind. That's 22. 
New Orleans, Cleveland, Carolina, and Denver rank ahead of them on now, first down runs. Uh, I mean, the stat is the stat. There's no arguing. He has 60-yard touchdown run on a first down, mm-hmm. and we're only three weeks into the season. So that skews that number. Yeah, but I'm not looking at yardage. I'm looking at first down runs. Oh, okay. All the carries. Percentage of carries. 59% of the time, they hand right, the ball yeah, yeah, to yeah. Henry on first down. In context, I think it's also important to note that the Titans' passing game ranks 21st with 223 yards per game on average. Only four touchdowns. That ranks for 20th in passing touchdowns. Now, they haven't had A.J. Brown at his best at all. Um, he was good in week one, but again, we, we know what happened week one. Um, Julio Jones has been really good in the first halves of the last two games, and then yeah, they had a passing touchdown taken to away. Henry. Yeah, yes. On a controversial yes. call. Um, but perhaps the most alarming number in all of this is actually the passing game. With the explosion that we saw last year, early part of the season, not there. So they're they're having to rely more on Henry now Ferks as opposed to red zone target, missed two games. Yeah, and then AJ's dropped passes and just had got hurt. Um, and then Julio had a good first half in Seattle, had a good um, first half this past week, and then got hurt. Um, even though they said tightness, he was hurt. Here's another um, first down number yep. for you. Titans have thrown for 8.9 yards per attempt on first down since the start of 2020. So that's not just this year, but this year they've continued that. That's the third best in the NFL. So this ties into your first, that what the work they do on first down. Yeah, with And that's him. on top of Henry. So you've got Henry right. running very well on first down, and you've got them throwing for – 8.9 yards per attempt. Nine yards per attempt on first down. That's outrageously good. Last season, Paul, they ranked seventh in passing yards per attempt. Right now, they're 21st in the league yeah, in passing yards per attempt. That's got to go up. That, well, th- but that's that's tough to do when your two top receivers are either not catching the football or they're hurt. Or hamstrung. Um, with that in mind, I, I think without saying it, like they – like. Um, What's the, the load management that they're talking about with Julio Jones this week? Or the media is trying to force that, uh, which is uh, – we can discuss that at a later time. I do think there is something to be said for load management early in a year for Henry, where traditionally he's been off to slow starts, and now he's off to a really strong start. He's going back on the road where he's always good on the road. Um, I do think if they were more productive in the past game early on, we wouldn't have this discussion about needing 68 carries over two weeks. But they have not been as efficient in the passing game. And, and the, part of that is pass protection, you know, trusting their tackles. Um, some of that are just key drops at inopportune times in, the, in a game, interceptions on passes, of course. Like all that mixes together where they're not as efficient. Corey Davis and, and Julio Jones, through three weeks, have practically the same amount of receiving yards. Last year, Corey Davis, who we'll see this week in New York, 206 yards receiving, got off to a really nice start. Um, Julio has 204 through three weeks. I mean, they're right there. What they have not been able to replace is the production of Jonu Smith. And that's where Ferkser ties in because he's been hurt. AJ's been dropping passes. Again, it, it, we've mentioned this a lot, but because of that, they're making up for Jonu's production in the run game with Henry. Yeah. And, and how long can you do that? What we said they would do, that's a very interesting point. They're making up for it in the run game. What we thought they would do is make up for it three wide instead of two tight. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're also people may roll their eyes at this because the guy didn't do all that much because he was always in the training room. But Adam Humphreys was a when he was on the field, 
He was moving the chains in the passing game. And, Paul, he was productive. Through three weeks last year, he had 15 catches for 136 yards through three games. I mean, that when he was on the field, he was productive. Um, they don't have that, that guy, the third option. Where's Josh Reynolds? Maybe Chester Rogers can be yeah, that I'm guy. I'm looking to see where Chester Rogers is right yeah, now. Yeah, uh, but it's not 136 yards receiving. No. Um, because I pointed this out. They have two receivers right now in their passing game with over 100 yards on the season. Julio Jones, and the other one's Derrick Henry. So they're not even close to what they're, what they're doing, spreading the wealth. Chester Rogers has seven catches for 90 yards, which is uh, A.J. Brown's got seven catches for 92 yards. But ch- the thing about Chester Rogers, who's a slot receiver who I would have thought would be <clears throat> short yardage mm-hmm. guy, 12.9 a catch, you know, which is not a bad number out of that spot. You know, Derrick Henry's got 8.8 a catch, and A.J. Brown's got 13.1 a catch. Chester Rogers right now is doing the same work as A.J. Brown, which is, you know, good for Chester Rogers and bad for A.J. Brown. You know, it all is not broken here. I'm not trying to uh, jump to conclusions and say that Todd Downing can't produce what Arthur Smith did. Arthur had to piece together the offensive line that was extremely broken and banged up last year. And he was able to do it and fit game plans around that. This, while you you hope Ben Jones, who is a battler, right? Uh, I I think Coach Dave McGinnis refers to him as scrap metal. Like he's just always around and tough, right? He's going to give you what he's got. Uh, Same thing for Roger Saffold. If they can get Lawan back confident and right at left tackle, well, then... Really, what the battle is now for Downing is piecing together this receiving core that they're touting their depth there, and rightfully so. I mean, we saw the guys step up. Until we until they don't step up, we need to praise them for guys like Nick Westbrook-Akina, Chester Rogers, Cam Batson. When they get Berkser back, can they get something out of Josh Reynolds? Because the recipe now is about piecing that passing game together to complement the run game that's going to bridge the gap, Paul, as they get AJ and Julio back in a couple of weeks, I don't. I don't know how you feel about Julio. I don't think he's playing this week. No, I don't. Think AJ's he's playing. not playing this week. No, AJ's definitely not playing. It's a good sign that they didn't put him on IR. So that makes you optimistic about Kansas yeah. City game. I think the one guy you didn't mention there in the offensive line thing, Questenberry was bad on opening day, and he's been yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I agree. The, the next two games after that, he showed up in a rating uh, as as a uh, very good pass pass protector um, so far. So that's good. Listen, I just don't want it to be, and it's very early still, but I, I, I think most Titans fans are thinking, you know, and, and they get ahead of themselves. This whole thing going to be about taping A.J. and Julio together and then just trying to have them ready for the playoffs. It has a, this load management thing came up, and it all of a sudden has a very NBA-ish feel to it, you know? It doesn't work the same way. Yeah, it can't. It can't. But these hamstring injuries linger you know, and then you give a guy an extra week, and then you worry about it resurfacing. And you can't AJ's trade. had some some issues. You would trade, let me, and AJ uh, and Julio Jones is coming off a year where he was banged up with right. multiple things. And as you well know, that the load management in the NBA is not a good parallel because in the NBA with the season the way it is, you can you, if LeBron doesn't play, they won't admit this, but they're 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 telling everybody we would trade a loss to a give rest. him rest. You cannot trade a loss in this league. You just can't. So if a guy is 70%, put him out there. Like that, I need my best players 
on the field see, at all times. That's where a lot of Titans fans went with this game on Sunday. Once it came up, they were saying uh, Vrabel concluded late in the third, we can win this game without Julio Jones. We're going to run it, and we're in control, and we can handle this with Nick Westbrook-Akina. And I don't think that's what he was doing. I think that that he, you know, he was hurt. Had, had a hamstring and he was hurt. But it troubles me that so many fans jump to that conclusion and think you can do that in the in the NFL and that they've flipped this switch where they've bled the NBA straight into the NFL in the matter of one Sunday afternoon watching their well, team. And it's also, you know, it's not as much load management. It's not load management. It's more about lo- load management, by the way, happens during the practice week. For the, in the NFL, and Mike Vrabel's been NFL. excellent at yeah, it. As the season management. goes, he tapers his guys. Let me tell you, a practice in in September or early October looks nothing like a practice in November or December. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And it that's gets more and more, more closer. That's and closer where you to load manage. To. And and this is more about. I, and I I mean I, I can't read into it any more than what it is. If if he's experiencing tightness, and that's what he was told at the time, Vrabel, I'm talking about, uh, with with Julio and the hamstring, I'm thinking, okay, I'm worried about deterioration moving forward more than I am load management. And, and those are two different things. Like I, I don't want this guy to continue down this path and trend this direction. We've got to get him right. Same thought after whatever, how many practices it was, a weekend of practice and training camp when they shut him down. And Four came days, down awkward. It came to, yeah, it was I, the fourth day Same of the thing. Day. Like you, you've got to get him right. Because it goes back to this. At the end of the season, what do you remember most about last year? Most of fans, at least I, I, I'm also lumped into this in my line of thinking. I remember the finish. Oh, I remember Green Bay, Green Bay. Green Bay winning... Uh, in dramatic fashion in Houston, and then the Baltimore game at Nissan Stadium. It's not about September and October. It is. I mean, you have to, again, stat-stuffing game this week. Go get a win. Um, But it's about making sure you're getting to the finish line with your best talent. And I think what they're worried about with Julio, and they will never say this, is deterioration. Making sure he's able to produce what he's capable of in the biggest moments of the season, and that will come during the playoff race. But also, you have to get some, I think, you have to get some percentage of the 17 out of him. Oh, yeah. You've right? got to get to the playoff race. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got to be a factor in helping no, no you doubt. get there. I'm not saying you and rest him until you December. Can, yeah, and you can't look at it and say, well, Nick Westbrook-Akina gives you 75% of, AJ, uh, of Julio Jones, and we'll be fine with that. And fans just raced to that. On yeah. Sunday afternoon, by the time I was up from the, well, the media locker room, I like it. to say the locker room. It wasn't room. just fans. I like media. to say the locker room like I'm still, uh, you know, I'm in the vicinity of the locker room. Uh, by the time I got <laughs> up from the railings, um, fans had already kind of come to terms with that, which is just kind of a strange conclusion. They, if you sell, buy they the sell the stars. You want to see the stars. And when the games are tight and important and hard – you're going to need the stars to win you those games. If you buy into load management, Paul, with Julio, why are we not hearing that about Henry in 68 carries in two games? And by the way, that doesn't count younger. His catches. I, I mean, I'll be devil's that's advocate. Not, that's not younger. Yeah, it's not counting touches or the two-point conversion. By the way, I asked him that today. He'd already taken one, um, one workload question, 
and I asked him, does a, does a reception count the same in your book in terms of the workload? Oh, like good. I was kind of asking, you know, about the pounding. Yeah. You know, because you're in space. Yeah, so he, it's he's, different, he, and you're getting hit ultimately probably by a DB. Yeah, that's the matchup you want. By, not by a defensive lineman. Right. So I said, does a reception count the same in the workload equation to you? And he, la- he was in a really good mood today, which is somewhat rare in terms of the media exchange. And he laughed, and he said, you guys, with the workload questions, you just keep coming with the workload questions. Yeah, I just play. I just play. And they feed him. Like he's, he's the not, best player. He's not thinking about it. Somebody earlier asked him, and I knew. I mean, this was it's just funny when you – and I, I'm sure I ask these questions too, and people think the same thing when I'm asking them. But you just know it's a hopeless question <laughs> while, while it's being asked. You know, and sometimes I ask an intentionally hopeless question just to get on the record the answer to the intentionally hopeless question. But somebody was asking, like, do you ever do the math? Like, where you add up, you know – I've got this many carries. This maybe was the first workload. I've got this many carries through three games, and if you do that out through 17 games, it add up. And he's like, no. <laughs> no. Coming up, uh, we will discuss the work ahead for Heupel and this Vols team. They're facing Missouri this week, but ultimately, what does this game mean? Because we've heard this storyline before about a, a big game, biggest game for for uh, Jeremy Pruitt was the season opener against South Carolina. He actually won the game. He was fired anyway. So It was big. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Think uh, how, uh, what would have happened if he uh, lost it. But what, what does this symbol, what, what does this signal for, for Heupel against a Missouri team that Tennessee's perfectly capable of winning against, but also perfectly capable of losing to? Uh, we'll discuss that, plus we'll give more topics on the Titans straight ahead on OutKick 360. Thursday edition, OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. The NFL has announced their Super Bowl halftime show coming up in L.A. in February. Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar, all to perform the 2022 Super Bowl halftime show in Los Angeles, in L.A. Who knows who will be playing there? Maybe the L.A. Rams. That'd be something. See the uh, second team. That doesn't happen forever, and then it happens two years. Two years in a row. In a row. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Um, a lot of discussion. Um, a lot may be pushing. I've heard from a couple people the discussion of um, this is the biggest game for Heupel in his first season, like it, because it's definitive on where you stack up in the East moving forward, what you recruit to, what you sell, where you are in the pecking order, all that, and I. I think there is um, well, one of the topics we'll have on Outkick the Tailgate this week is ultimately at the end of the season, we look back on the SEC schedule. Are we going to say that the SEC West and the battle for the second or third best team in the SEC West is more exciting than the battle for the second or third best team in the SEC East? Now, the better teams are in the West. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's not as it, it, it could not be more exciting in the East. And a lot of that depends on what Kentucky does this week against Florida, what Tennessee's able to do, for instance, against Missouri, and where the pecking order ends up in all this. But going back to Heupel for a moment, um, and, and just thinking about what, what is important, what's not, and what's to take away from a game like this, 
we all were, and I was one of them, buying into huge game for Jeremy Pruitt right out of the shoot against South Carolina last year. And it was ultimately a game that he won, and he was fired anyway. And Paul, in thinking about that, I don't buy into the concept of this is a definitive, you know what you've got type game. I will buy some stock into this is a game where Tennessee, and, and credit to them, I do think they show some moxie. They do fight, and they're, you know, they, they get after it in these games. I haven't seen a, a lack of effort by any means in, in, in their matchups. I, I think we, we set aside and cast aside coaching results in year one in demand for immediate results. And to me, the, the results don't have to be in wins as much as it is how's your team look and where do you stack up right now if you're Tennessee in the East. And we know Kentucky is back. They're, they're out of the, the cellar for sure. Where's Tennessee in that? Where is Missouri in that? Missouri and Kentucky went toe-to-toe. We think Florida's the second-best team in the East. They'll get their chance to prove where they are when they face Georgia in the, the cocktail party in a couple of weeks. But beyond that, do you buy into single matchups being important, more important than um, the, the casual Saturday game for Hypel? Well, to a degree. I mean, I don't think coming out of this weekend you – it's making or breaking the program. But at the end, when you look at it, <clears throat> who's he going to have beaten in the East? Right. You know, like Kentucky's going to be tough. Yeah, really. That, I that mean, would be an upset. Right. He's not beating Georgia. He ha- didn't beat Florida. So this might be the lone well, chance to beat somebody in the well, East. Well, other than Vandy. I mean, they, would, they should. Right. And if he winds up not, not winning this and then the season's mm-hmm. over, you say, well, all he did was beat Vandy in the East. Then you say, well. That wasn't very impressive. This is a great us. opportunity for them to get to six and six, which is a win. I mean, I fans don't want to hear that, but I think most fans would agree with that deep down. I mean, six and six would be a glorious season with the way things turned out, especially against Pitt. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I look at this as an opportunity for Heupel to to get a leg up, really, and get ahead of where they are. I wasn't expecting much for Tennessee. At, at what seventy-one scholarships? South I believe, Carolina. Dylan. I'm, I'm, yeah, South I'm Carolina's another one. A, yeah, as well, um, but. You want to be able to, like, if you beat Missouri, Vandy, South Carolina, you're firmly mm-hmm. <clears throat> just below Georgia, Florida, who everybody is expecting you to be below. And then you could say, well, Kentucky's kind of the breakout team, and then we're right there. If you don't beat those teams, then you're, you've let, you're letting opportunities you, get away. You, you want to be able to come out of this and say, out of those bad teams, we're the cream of the crop. I agree. And I, I would also say you want to come out of this saying we're on schedule. Like we're, we, we went through some lumps. We, we, we took some losses. We also took advantage of, of some games. And this is a game on the road in Columbia that's not going to be easy, but it's a very winnable game for Tennessee, especially with Hendon Hooker at quarterback. I think, I think you say you took advantage of some matchups. You went on the road and won a big, pivotal SEC East game to where you feel like you're on schedule. Especially like you, you have your strengths footing. and weaknesses. It, it right. appears Tennessee can run the wall. Yep. And all indications are Missouri can't stop the runs. So you're set up for a framework of something here that's manageable. Agreed. Um, intriguing matchup. But be patient here. I think this is part of the reason why we've got to the buyout world where there's more buyout money circulating than there are coaches in college football with their, with their current team. I mean, it's just there needs to be more patience than Tennessee-Missouri, and that's the X factor for how you go about deciding whether or not that's your coach. He doesn't have a ton of time to prove it. But uh, oh, I get a lot you know, more with the transfer this. portal and, and everything else going on, he's, he's got time. 
and I think you be you, you stay on schedule with uh, with a win over Missouri. Well, we'll preview that game in over, depth. Whether they catch it or not, keep scheming people open. In-depth preview tomorrow with Hubs and Austin Price of VolQuest. Albert Breer joins us tomorrow. Bobby Carpenter as well. Join us for the Friday edition, fun Thursday edition on OutKick 360. Remember, above all else, do not block the box and do lock the locks.